dong. Welcome to Starman's podcast in the morning. Actually, we're recording what this What the tonight. fuck? It's literally the latest we've ever recorded <laughs> yep. on history. No. Really? Mm-hmm. No, there's gotta yes. be. Nope. Okay, I'll take your word for it. But you're probably listening to this in the morning on your way to work in your car. Starman's in the morning. You. I see you with your Dunkin' Donuts in your... Ew, fuck. Don't do your... that. I see you with your Starbies. There you go. That's a little better. Your Starbucks the and your cult. your fucking cake pops. I see you with your cake pops. Join Jared. the cult. <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? She said join the cult. Oh, join the cult. Yeah. Actually, what is it? Cult of us. Cult of a podcast. That's a really good pod. Uh, po- <laughs> Whoa, no plugging other podcasts on I'm here. I'm plugging Hello? them. Yes. Speaking of plugs, They're this good. is unofficially sponsored by our Patreon. If you'd like to support Wait. Starman's podcast Wait. on our Patreon, Wait. visit starman's.live right now. You can subscribe to be an engineer for only $5 a month and help us out. Or for $10 a month, you can become a scientist. And that gives you all the benefits of the engineer plus the uh, option to vote Wait. on polls and suggestions. The hit us up again at starmints.live for our Patreon. Thank you. And back to the episode. Why are you giving me that look? Were you not ready for that? <laughs> well, we got to As in our our Patreon is our official sponsor. It's not unofficial sponsor, it's us. Yeah. We sponsor our own shit. Yeah, so if so you So it's the uh... official sponsor. Okay, let me backtrack. I'm not going to say the whole thing, but our official sponsor is us now. So if you'd like to support the podcast, please. Support us, please. 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 Check out that Patreon. We will love you forever. And at the end of every episode now, we are going to shout out our scientists when we start getting scientists. That's part of the uh, perk of being a scientist. You get a shout out at the end of the podcast. So. Oh, yay. Anyway. Yes. Yay. Part two. Let's go. What are Part we talking about? fucking two. I actually added more. So here we go. <laughs> you added holy shit. Oh, yes. We better fucking get the ball rolling. I then. know. We're gonna. I said we're going to talk about Nasiria and a couple others, but I actually, I mentioned C. diff and stuff like that, Clostridium. I don't know what that is. You will. Okay. So um, in the last episode, and I was like, oh shit, that's actually really important. I should probably brush on that. So we're going to talk about Bacillus first. <laughs> Bacillus? And then we'll talk about Clostridium after, and then we'll pick up where I actually left off with Nisiria, and then uh, Herbie's Simplex, and Epstein-Barr, and all those goodies associated with it. Delicious. Sir, are you okay over there? He's fine. Leave him be. Don't fucking look at him like that. All right, so we're going to talk about Bacillus um, first, So, which is kind of the umbrella terms. Um, we'll talk about a couple different ones in it, but we'll start with actually Bacillus. I think Sirius is what we're going to talk about. Um, I picked this one to talk about because it's a food poisoning one. It's going to be really quick, but if you've eaten like fried rice and you've gotten sick off of it, this is the bacteria associated with it. I don't think I've ever gotten sick. Well, I'm not sure if it was the rice or not. People don't think of fried rice <clears throat> causing their sickness, but it's super common. Like when you mean fried rice, you're talking about Rice Krispies or are we talking about like fried rice like fuck it rice krispies that's fried rice what it's air fried fried rice okay so the, the fr- asian kind yes okay <laughs> holy shit i was just asked an actual question i don't fucking know okay well yes it's rice it's okay. actual fried rice that's hot and fried with shit in, in, in it like eggs okay so that one um, so that's Bacillus serious. Um, 
And again, that's a pretty common cause of food poisoning, but no one ever thinks of it. It's a very quick onset. It's But the reason I also picked this, it's actually similar to staph. Because remember how staph aureus causes food poisoning, but very quickly, like a couple hour onset, 10 to 12 hours, it's gone. Yeah. That is um, the difference between Bacillus cereus and Staph aureus. Damn. So, but not as severe. Staph aureus tends to be a little bit more on the severe side to where you might need to go to like urgent care, get some IVs, get bagged up, whatever. Shit. Some meds. Um, the other one I was going to talk about was Bacillus anthracis, which most people... Anthrax? Yes, exactly. <clears throat> um, so anthrax is actually a biological warfare bacterium. Um it's very easily identified, which is kind of cool, but it basically infects you through spore transport. So right. it goes into your lungs, you breathe it in, and then the spores stick into your lungs, and then that progresses from there, and that's how you get right. anthrax. So when you say that, you mean that people used to use it as biological warfare, right? They'd, like, mail it to people or whatever, right? Um, they can. <laughs> it's in the past. I'd have to look up some more stuff, but it's... It was basically genetic, genetically changed to be a super pathogen. It wasn't something that just was naturally oh, this shit. way. Yeah. Wow. So it changed. It was its endotoxins were amplified, and so now it's resistant to. It has this really strong capsule, and then it, again these spores that stick on everything. Why did we do that? I don't. I don't know. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, it's the truth. I mean. We change our diseases all the time. It's an easy way to wipe out populations, so. Okay, so it's most common, anthrax is most commonly a disease, actually in large animals, people don't know that, but it's transmitted again through spores from the animals itself. And you typically, you see like it on your skin, skin reactions first before it goes into your um, lungs or whatever, but it will contaminate a, a wound or whatever, and it creates this nasty like, skin growth called an eschar it's like this black massive super scab if you get anthrax in a wound and it's gross um but it can be easily cleared up through antibiotics um and it's rarely fatal but if you inhale the spores you get pulmonary anthrax which is very deadly right um because it that creates a really great environment for the bacteria to replicate and then it invades your lungs um creates this exotoxin that actually draws fluid into the lungs and then eventually it's almost mimicking like cardiorespiratory failure right so um it's actually common in people who raise and work with sheep too they called it wool sorters disease hmm. it's very interesting um they say penicillin will clear it but there's actually some more resistance to it now from again antibiotic overuse so here we are here we are so, okay, that's just the bacillus, again, rod-shaped bacteria that are just cool that I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. Next, we're going to talk about Clostridium. Um, oh, Clostridium is kind of, it's interesting because it's part of our normal flora, again, but it's our gut flora versus our skin versus our lungs or like our um, upper GI system, like our mouth and whatever. The first one I wanted to talk about, which is actually kind of really fucking disgusting, it's called Clostridium perfringens. This causes gas gangrene. So similar to necrotizing fasciitis, it eats away the tissue, but in the process of eating away the tissue, it releases gases, oh, pockets of gas, and air bubbles. Gross. Um, <laughs> and it's... Like uh, inside of you? and you No, just... De it just decomps like Ugh. fingers or wherever you get it. That's fucking disgusting. It's 
foul smelling. Um, it typically starts with the clostridium. Again, a spore-based pathogen. It gets It's in soil. It gets contaminated into like a wound or a cut or whatever. Then the spores grow in the tissue, and then it creates this nasty fucking almost similar again similar to necrotizing fasciitis as it eats away the tissues but it produces that gas smell oh my god and it's oh it's bad it's really freaking gross is this like some super uber super duper rare disease or something not necessarily you say these things like oh you get a cut and then it gets infected or whatever by it you have to be like in the right environment like say you get a cut and you're working on a farm then you know farmer comes in and he has this nasty inflamed these are like the end stage infections. Most oh, okay. people don't let their fucking arms rot off. Right. Okay. These are just where if you don't get it treated. Right. I was gonna say as a kid, like I got a cut every day. Right. In, in the mud, you know, like. Right. right. <laughs> What's nice is that we've also developed like kind of a resistance over time. We've been exposed to these bacteria and pathogens, and a lot of them are opportunistic, so we don't see them right. as much. Gotcha. Um, but again, this is like an end stage type of bad situation you get exposed to it you don't take care of it and here we are right trying to pick up you're lost in a mountain in maine and you get cut on your foot or something and you leave it untreated for a week straight i mean yeah yeah it's kind of gross but um (laughs) similar to necrotizing fasciitis sometimes to stop the spread depending if it gets access to your bloodstream is amputation Mm. obviously so um love that for me the biggest problem with um, gas gangrene is the pressure it puts in the wound itself. It actually cuts off circulation. So if you think about it, when you go to administer antibiotics in medicines, you take them either orally or injected through an IV. It goes through your blood to the mm-hmm. tissues and this stimulates a cell response. But if no cells are getting into that area, right. no medications getting into that area. True. Yep. That's so when you true. have an anaerobic environment that's not getting any blood supply, not getting any oxygen... Just it's getting worse. It's just getting worse. You have yeah. to either slough off the dead tissue, the infected tissue, and hope that you can treat it or stop the disease where it is, and that's right. amputation. Yep. That so. Makes sense. Okay. Um, actually, interestingly enough, clostridium perfringens can also cause a food infectious type of disease, but this one's typically in meats. This is actually, so, <laughs> which is, this one's kind of interesting, too. So, this one's actually in, like, crockpot types of stuff, like stews and slow-cooked foods. Oh. And it's a kind of a delay because there's a 24-hour incubation period. So, not the one to two hour, like, with staph and bacillus. This one can take over a day for symptoms to appear. It's for people who, like, crockpot their food. They leave it, like, for a couple of days, and then they try to rewarm it on their counter. Like, at room temperature? Yes. Yeah, it's a no-no. So if you do that, I mean, uh, no. But what you should be doing is honestly just putting your crock pot with the lid on it. Just put it in your fridge, and then if you want to warm it up, just bring it back out, and right. then the whole purpose the of temperature regulation is bacteria. It, it, they have a harder right. time living in hot hot situations and cold situations. That's why right. we have freezers, and that's why we cook our food. Right. <laughs> the, right. Because the middle ground is the dangerous part. Right. Yeah. So, yep. So another type of food poisoning that I thought was interesting for people to know. Um, But yeah. Okay. So we're going to actually get into a new different type that I want to talk about, which was the main reason I kind of sidetracked is C. diff or Clostridium difficile. Back when I was in school, they they called this an up and coming pathogen, but that's not true. It's been around for quite a long time and it's very prevalent now. 
And unfortunately, it's showing kind of a significant antibiotic resistance, especially in the geriatric population from, again, over prescription of broad spectrums. Right. Same thing. This is actually a normal enteric flora. So it's normal GI bacteria. We find it in our bodies, but it's an opportunistic type of bacteria that if it's in the right um, environment, then it can grow. It can get worse. It can get nasty. It's so weird that a lot of these are like... Yeah, it's just in you. It's just, you know, you got to give it that right environment to we, really fuck you. It's kind of funny because a lot of these bacteria, these gut, you know, gut bacterium are literally, you know, are part of our bodies. Right. But again, like you said, with the, it has to be in the proper environment. So for it to be, you know, for it to actually cause disease. Okay. So anyways, with C. diff, um... This is what, well, this is another reason why gut health is so important because people who are chronically ill and sick, this is the type of shit that happens is these bacteria are now, you know, they're imbalanced and they have the opportunity to grow and cause chronic illnesses where people don't know why and they just kind of slowly have this dysfunction over time. You don't absorb your food. You're not getting the proper nutrients. Your hormones are frigged up. Your neurotransmitters are all fucked. You're not happy. Your dopamine's in the shit are same with your serotonin. So right. your gut health is so important. It's actually almost more important. I don't want to say more important, but just as important as like your brain, your your brain health, your spine health, your your body. Like it's your gut is a huge proponent of your just general wellness. And that is actually that's fairly new research coming out and it's really sad that it took us this long to figure that out. Right. So anyways, back to it. Um typically <laughs> C diff is what we call it the disease or the pathology it causes is pseudomembranous colitis, so a severe form of lower GI distress. It's called a super infection, and it causes massive inflammation of the intestinal tract, um, and typically ends in necrosis of your cells in the in the lining of your large intestine and maybe your colon as well. Christ. Long-term antibiotic users are at risk because it, when you take antibiotics, it messes with your gut flora and it imbalances you, as we all know, and can make your stomach upset and cause diarrhea, et cetera, et cetera. Most people have experienced stuff like that. But nursing home patients, this is a common thing because once it, once this pathogen, like, once you, like, say someone gets sick and goes to the bathroom, whatever, if you don't bleach that bathroom, this is a very tough bacteria to kill. So somebody else goes into that bathroom, uses it, and they pick it up. Ooh. It spreads like wildfire. Yeah. So you have to contain it really well, um, Damn. unfortunately. And it's very easy. That's why this is a problem with nursing homes, with cleanliness, with people who can't like isolate very well. Mm-hmm. Most nursing homes, I mean, some pla- some of them have like single bathrooms, but a lot of them don't. It's a lot of co. Yeah. So... Um, treatment obviously requires really high antibiotic use, um, typically clindamycin, linamycin, anything like that. Um, but it has to be swabbed, tested, confirmed. Most people start again with broad spectrums, which isn't the way to go, but in severe infections, you can't get grandpa hydrated. It's a big problem. He's going to perish because geriatric populations, most of them don't eat enough. They don't move enough. They don't hydrate enough. Yep. Very sedentary life, so anything like even remotely low for an infection-wise is a big problem. Yeah. So this super pathogen or super infection comes in, it's not a good situation. So that's what we call general C. diff. Big problem, spreads around really quickly, kind of nasty, and 
really something that most people should know of, especially if you're, you know, you have elderly parents that might be going to nursing homes soon or it's something to be aware of if you were taking care of somebody who is in this population. So you have some sort of awareness and they don't just wind up dead because if you don't treat this, you know, it can kill people fairly quickly, especially when they when they downgrade all their symptoms. So, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So that's really all I want to talk about. Um, there's a couple different types of other ones in the Clostridium, like Clostridium tetani causes tetanus, very common disease. Um, we all know it's a neuromuscular disease. It causes, you know, like lockjaw. It messes with our junctions in our muscles. You probably don't know that, but okay. I've heard of it. Do you know what tetanus is? Should I talk about it really quickly? If, if you want to. I mean... I, I, I know what tetanus is because school was actually they only talked about like three things it was scoliosis tetanus and right like some other thing but well or, uh, staph, tetanus staph infection, is actually. from the soil itself it's not from like a rusty nail yeah it's it's dirty environments is what i've been told soil happens to be ground dirt yeah. not people have for some reason associated rust in nails <clears throat> With soil, because most people would step on a nail on the ground and they're like, oh shit, right. tetanus shot, because it's a yeah. puncture wound mm-hmm. with dirt on it. Right. But people in like working in concrete facilities, they literally will walk on a floor, step on a nail, they're like, oh, I'm going to get my tetanus shot. And I'm like, that's not going to do shit for you. Right. Yeah. I've, he- I've heard that it's less about the rusty thing and more about like it being dirty. It's just right. you associate like rusty old things with Which like dirty, is such rusty a... old things. Yeah. It's just a wives' tale. Um, so tetanus basically blocks, it's an acetylcholine inhibitor, which allows for the relaxation of muscle. So what it does is it causes the muscle to constantly contract. Yeah. And so a lot of people, it, it starts, one of the common ones is, again, the locked jaw. You can't literally relax your jaw and it just gets shut. Jesus. So it's called tetanus or basically a state of tetany. So hence the tetanus locked jaw type right. of disease. Um. But it progresses because it doesn't just start in the jaw. It starts affecting all the muscles and eventually it can progress down to your lungs where your lungs and the muscles surrounding contract and you can go into respiratory failure from this. Um, Great. Because your diaphragm essentially locks up and stops working so you can't respirate air. Shit. That's a huge problem. So it starts, I think it's the top, but don't quote me on this, but I believe it's a top down progression versus like Guillain-Barre syndrome is bottom up, blah, blah, blah. Didn't so. Um, yeah. So, and they, yeah. So again, the nail, rusty nail thing is like literally just an old wives tale and blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Um, it takes about four to 10 days for people to actually, from the puncture wound and contact with it to start having symptoms. Most people don't mess around because it's hard to treat after that. So they want to just, it's easier to give a vaccine preemptively, you know, in preparation versus try and treat the disease after. Right. Um, and trying to pick up the pieces essentially. So, it's in the DPT vaccine, for those who don't know, which is the T part for the DPT. DPT. It's one of the common core vaccines kids get. Okay, and for those who don't know, the the DPT vaccine is stands for diphtheria, pertussis, and then tetanus. Um, so, yeah. Another clostridium one that I'll just really quickly go over, a botulinum. So, botulism. Mm. Really easy. A really easy one to, for people to, like, relate to overall. But, yeah. Food intoxication, food intoxication, canned foods, kind of gross. Sometimes sausage, too. Yeah, are you not supposed to put canned food back in the fridge? Isn't that like a thing? Because I've... of the, in the can itself, I think. Is that right. what you're talking about? Right. 
I think so. But I think I looked that up and it was like, yeah, it does, doesn't cause botulism. I'm like, I'm pretty sure everyone my whole life told me not to do that because it can. I think it was because back then the food safety standards weren't as good. So Maybe. now they're more aware, cautious of it. I don't know. It's a yeah, great, it that's a great um, question. Yeah. <laughs> or wives tale or whatever. Ah. Thanks, parents. For Thanks, parents, for inducing fear into us for no fucking reason. Yeah. Yeah, I left uh, Campbell's soup in the can, and I put it in the fridge, and my mom... Lost her shit. Freaked out at me. Yeah, she was like, if you ate that, you could have died. <sighs> and so now I will never put cans in the fridge, even though that's probably not what causes botulism. <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to go into it, but botulism is... I mean, it's kind of gross, too. Um, but we're going to talk about Nisiria next umbrella um so it's another bacteria found in our this one's found in our upper respiratory tract flora they, we call these our catnophilic bacteria which means they thrive in high concentrations of co2 which makes sense because as we exhale co2 it's in our upper respiratory tract right so it's like hell yeah here we go party okay fuck yeah hell this is yeah. go hey what's on it um, Nisiria has a thick polysaccharide capsule. Um, actually, I'm sorry, Nisiria, the bacterium we're going to specifically talk about is Nisiria meningitis. And this has a thick polysaccharide capsule. For, and again, for those who don't know meningitis, you could probably guess that this disease causes pathogen, causes meningitis. Yeah, okay. Um, so that capsule is actually its primary virulence factor, which means it's like biggest defense mechanism against tra treatment or like antibiotics. Um, when this gains access to the bloodstream, the capsule is so thick, it has a significant amount of time to travel through our entire body, getting to our, eventually, getting to our meninges, which are the three coverings of our spinal cord. Do you know? No. I'm pretty sure most people don't know that. Nobody knows that? No, I didn't go to med school. Okay. <laughs> well, it's the dura, the pia mater, and the arachnoid. So. Didn't know any of that. I've heard of those words before. I just don't know what they mean. Well, those are your three meninges. You have three layers that suction Velcro basically to your spinal cord and then to your brain. Delicious. So when you cut your skull open, you actually peel it off of the meninges. It like saran wraps off. Oh, yeah. Last time I did that, I remember yeah. seeing that. Yes. Yeah. So it saran wraps <laughs> off one of the layers, the dura, and then your arachnoid is the one that's like, I. oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Ooh, I want to say the arachnoid is the one directly. Google check. No, wrong. Uh, the middle, the arachnoid is the middle. The pia mater is the one that's stuck like really in depth in your brain. It's almost like cell level thickness. Oh, crazy. It's very thin. But anyways, so if the bacteria has access to this and gets into that closed, closed circuit system, it causes a massive inflammatory reaction. And as you can imagine, inflammation on your spinal cord or the surroundings of it is a kind of a huge problem. Right. Um, yeah. So, again, resulting in meningitis. It's a severe disease. It can pre uh, initially present in a patient as like a severe headache. Um, a very stiff neck, particularly in flexion and extension, so forward and back, not side to side or rotation side to side, because this is where we have the most spinal cord tension. When you bring your chin to your chest or if you extend your head back, mm -hmm. your spinal cord actually f moves with you as like a rope and right. kind of like a, that makes sense. a tension line. Yeah. So that's kind of one of the tests for it. And also a very high <laughs> fever. 
some people, you know, trigeminal neuralgia, which is a very painful condition of the face. Some people call men- meningitis similar to a suicide syndrome because the headache is so fucking bad. Shit. Um, it is very important to start treatment as soon as possible so the infection does not spread to the brain, causing encephalitis, which means swelling of the brain, which can ultimately lead to obviously death. Right. If untreated, your brain will swell and your neurological functions start to shut down, leading to organ failure and eventually heart failure or respiratory failure. Um, and then, bye. Yeah. So, this is another type of disease that it's important for chiropractors or physical therapists or for someone to recognize because what is one of the most common things we see in our office is headaches. Neck pain and headache. And neck pain. Yeah. So, (laughs) acute, not even necessarily acute because you can have chronic meningitis, something that's happened over a little more time, or you can have acute cases of meningitis, and it's very important to be able to differentiate and it understand the signs and symptoms of it right um is this like a long-term disease no is this like it's like it's an infection essentially an infection okay um it can be treated with antibiotics again but there's many actually different types of bacteria that causes it but neisseria is just kind of a little more of an aggressive one neisseria also causes gonorrhea great bad it's gross um the other the problem with that is is that again to high antibiotic overuse this is becoming extremely hard to treat and right. kind of having a spike in our population. Um, it's very painful because it's highly inflammatory. Um, a lot of women don't necessarily know they have it because it's not as apparent because it's like in our pelvic cavity right. and there's a lot more space for an infection to be spread out upon versus one severe like concentrated area like with guys right so guys typically find out right away they're like oh my god this is the worst pain ever and they're also kind of weak and, uh, oh, and okay sensitive <laughs> so- oh daddy my <laughs> pee hole <laughs> <Christ>. <laughs> and women are like yeah okay uh, so <laughs> um i just wanted to bring that up because it's important for women who are actually pregnant because it can cause blindness in your babies after delivery. Oh my God. Um, if you have an active infection going on. So it's really important to get treated or everything treated or be safe with your partners before you do stupid shit. So be safe, y'all. Be safe, y'all. Don't have the Neisseria. Yes. All right. We're going to jump right back into another uncomfortable topic, which is the herpes virus. Mm. But it's subtypes. I mean, I'm not going to linger on the stuff that is common that everybody knows of, but I'm going to linger on some of the more new research that's popping up that actually kind of actually affects me. So, and I'll explain later. But wait, before you start, is it true that, like, I, this is like a middle school rumor I heard by like another student, so it's probably not true, but I'm curious. Isn't it true that like everybody has like some form of herpes mm-hmm. to some degree? It's a just lot. Like more, it's like ninety percent of the population has herpes virus, a type, a subtype. Right, but it's like yeah, just so like. It's very. It's literally like ninety percent of people. Oh wow. Okay. And it's not just the <clears throat> the, the the down under. The genital herpes. Right, no. It's, it's like There's many diseases and... associated with herpes, and okay. we're going to talk about a bunch of them. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, so again, more new research coming out, but it's important. I'll just get into it later. Okay. So herpes is a latent virus that can actually house itself in your body, and as we all know, it can lives on your nerves and be reactivated through times of stress, through times of hormonal changes, through different environmental changes, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But it can exist without detection. 
until you're in an active flare. Um, when we think of this virus, obviously people think they're like, oh, herpes simplex 2, which is the STD that most people think of. But there's a whole slew of um, causative things. Yes, because you can have herpes simplex 1, you can have varicella zoster, shingles. Those are all under the herpes virus category, the umbrella. Oh, wow. So, again, classically we have simplex 2, which is STD. Um, but did you know if you have that, you actually have a higher risk for cervical cancer if you're a woman? So that's kind of, yeah, that's also important to know because if you do have that, which is unfortunately a pretty high percent of the population has simplex too as well. It's like 30 to 40%, something crazy. Wow. So, or I think it's closer to 30, but it's way more people than you know. Um, And this is important, especially for women because cervical cancer is on the rise, especially with kind of a failed HPV vaccine that just got released out, which is kind of scary. So, um, get your regular pap smear, girlfriends. Girlfriends. It's super important. Early detection is always key with any oncogenic disease, which is cancer-causing. Right. Um, again, don't get HPV. Not a lot of supportive research. Really bad research coming out. And I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I just don't like that one. So, let's, go, let's get off of that. Um, let's talk about the other types. So, the one simplex type 2, herpes simplex, that's fever, blisters, cold sores. That's the common one that everyone sees. Um, everybody has them they all suck again this if i were to say 90 percent of the population i'd say like 99 percent of the population has this one right i've um, heard that yeah very very common it's very easily transmissible it's really annoying um some people have similar so you can have cold sores but it doesn't necessarily have to be simplex one related it can actually be coming from um a spike in some other like some other pathogen or some other um disease like mono or Epstein-Barr. It's not necessarily simplex one, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, varicella zoster, another herpes virus, it causes chicken pox. So most people that didn't know sense. that chicken pox was actually a herpes virus. That actually kind of makes a lot of sense though. So there you go. That's yeah. another reason why it's such a highly dense type of hmm. disease or um, virus that infects people. And again, a virus, not a bacterium, big right. difference. Did you ever get chicken pox? Mm-hmm. I did not. I did. I, I did. Got, I got the chicken box vaccine. I got the vaccine. I got it. Before the vaccine? After the vaccine. That's I got I chicken pox. Yeah, you got the... That's, yeah. Hmm. So, mm-hmm. Weird. Varicella zoster. So, varicella zoster, if you have chicken pox, again, lives on your nerves, can get reactivated later in life, but as early now as your 20s, we're <clears> seeing <throat> cases pop up as shingles. Right. So, and yeah. shingles is very painful. Right. I've it's like that. a burning, blistering pattern that can run across in patterns that we call dermatomes. Um, think of a dermatome as a spinal sensory map that appears on your body. Such as like, so you have, a, you have seven cervical vertebrae, you have 12 thoracic vertebrae, you have five lumbar vertebrae. On your 12 thoracic vertebrae, you have a rib cage and you have almost a rib associated with each one. Your first ribs, if you were to put your fingers and your hands right at the top of your traps, that's where your first rib is, right here. Right beneath that is your lungs. The top of your lungs is actually above your collarbones when you Whoa. fully inhale. Damn. So that's your first rib above your clavicle. Hmm. Jump down to like your fifth rib. It's probably somewhere around like your armpit area, down near your heart. Typically, shingles will wrap around a rib in a thoracic dermatomal pattern. So T1 would wrap around the sides of your neck. 
T2 would be around your collarbones. T3 would wrap around just maybe your upper pectoral. T4, your middle pectoral. T5. So that's a dermatomal pattern. It loves to follow those sensory pattern pathways. Shit. So if you ever have like blisters or like a, it's really, again, it's a burning pain. You can have the burning pain without the blister too, which mm. is annoying. <clears throat> but um, if you ever see that, then you're like, oh my God, I might have, you know, shingles. And then you can... You can get treatment on it, but a lot of it's just honestly just trying to get everything to relax out. There's not like a cure for it. You right. have to base it off of or treat the symptoms like the burning. You can get like GABA or whatever you can to try and chill the nerve pain out, but you won't get rid of it. It's going to be chronic recurring your whole life. Shit. Um, interestingly enough, I had a patient who had a, a lower lumbar dermatomal, like it was an L4 pattern and your L4 dermatome falls along the inside of your shin. And she had L5 as well. And she was getting these burning pains on one side of her shin that wasn't responding to any care. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And no blister, nothing. But I was like, why is there burning pain? Like, I was thinking entrapment, something from her lumbar spine somewhere along the tunnels that you can have entrapment sites on. Mm -hmm. Wasn't getting better, wasn't getting better, wasn't getting better. And so I was like, okay, you got to go. We need to go get you tested. So we went and got her tested and it was shingles without the blister. So Damn. Um, so, and she wasn't, a, I mean, she was an elderly patient too. She was like in her seventies, almost eighties. Oh, wow. But a girl I, I sat next to in med school, she had a shingles flare and she was like 30 and she had it on the side of her face. She couldn't even open her eyes cause it was so painful. It's severe. Damn. So it can be kind of tricky to make the detection. So if you think you do, it's really, um, just go get checked out. It's sometimes having, it takes a couple providers to get to the right answer because it's very tricky and it masks like other diseases. So, so the next two I'm going to talk about are the most important ones. The ones that I've been, I've suffered with since I had went misdetected and un basically not diagnosed for like six, eight weeks before they figured out what was gone, which is Epstein-Barr virus and um, cytomegalovirus. The class is the classic infective <clears throat> agent of mononucleosis or mono. Ah, uh, yeah. Everyone's heard of mono, um, the kissing disease, quote unquote. That's what I. That's the other one that at school we learned yeah. about. Yeah, because yeah. it passes between high schools rapidly, um, just because they're nasty, gross ass high schoolers making out with all each other and shit. Right. But it uh, transmits essentially via saliva. <laughs> you're sharing food, utensils, drinking off each other's cups. Not necessarily kissing. But, you know, everyone in high school is like, yeah, give me some of that water. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, everyone. It's just a saliva fest. Basically. Yeah. So that's why it can go around high schools pretty quick. And it has a latent period, too, before you get any signs of the disease. It can be about a week or so. So you don't know who you got it from, potentially, if you're doing it with multiple people. Right, yeah. So yep. um, those who have mono have severe fatigue, <clears throat> a sore throat. They have swollen lymph nodes, headache, a rash, which the rash... Um, typically is in response to antibiotics because you don't feel well. You go to your primary care and they're like, oh, you probably have this sickness. We're going to put you on some broad spectrums. And again, like this is, they do. Right. This is a virus, not a bacteria. So broad spectrum antibiotics are not going to be effective against a bacteria. I'm sorry, against a virus. virus right. So it's a classic sign that you go on antibiotics and when a misdiagnosed mono, you get a ring of a rash. Like it's like a collar right around your neck and over your clavicle. So your collarbone area. Shit. And then you're like, holy shit, that's mono. <clears throat> right. So. Um, mononucleosis. Mononucleosis. You can have a high fever. And then you typically have tenderness or inflammation along your upper left quadrant in your abdomen. So like under your chest, you can reach under your rib cage right near your diaphragm. That's okay. where your spleen is. 
thought that was your appendix. Was that the other your side? appendix is lower right quadrant on the other side. Ah. I yeah. knew it was one of the other, or one of the sides. <laughs> when I say upper left, that's F my left, not you looking at me. Right. So lower right is um, appendix, not middle right. Upper right is gallbladder and liver. Center is my stomach, up, pancreas. My right is my appendix. Lower right, yep. But the left is the spleen. Nope, that's upper left is spleen. Upper left. So follow lower. the curve of your rib cage down, and where it starts to hook to the side, your spleen is right here. If uh, you were to put a hand under your pectoral muscle, like not on it, but under, that would be where your spleen is on your ribs, right under. So your spleen is important because it's responsible for production of white blood cells, and it filters your blood itself. So if your spleen is clogging from chronically diseased cells, right. it produces less healthy cells, less platelets, and it makes less cells that are healthy for oxygenation transport. So you can't breathe as well, essentially, and you're not functioning well. Yeah. This can lead to splenomegaly. Basically, your, your spleen gets overwhelmed with filtering. It starts to expand. It gets a little inflamed because it's full of disease and infected blood. Right. Um, and it gets sore, too. So those who have splenomegaly, they can get persistent severe fatigue, malaise, pain in your upper, ab upper abdomen. You can't eat anymore because you're full. <clears throat> this can increase three to four times its normal size. It can get huge. Um, also, people who have splenomegaly can be very easily bruised. They could have a high fever. Again, weight loss because they can't eat super well. And it can actually, in the long run, affect your liver because if this isn't filtering well, all this shit is backing up into your liver. Which is also a blood filter. So Jesus Christ. And then in really severe infections, um, your spleen can actually rupture. Great. Love that. Love that. So after exposure, you have an incubation time of week to many weeks before symptoms appear. Nine out of ten people have actually been infected with Epstein-Barr virus. And it's also an underlying cause for Burkitt's lymphoma, which is a non-Hodgkin, so the survivable type of lymphoma, in the younger population, so like 20s, 30s, etc. Shit. Fortunately, Burkitt's lymphoma is very treatable. Again, non-Hodgkin's. Hodgkin's lymphoma is not... That one tends to be more aggressive, and that's kind of more of a death sentence, unfortunately. Or Hodgkin's lymphoma is. I think I said that right. What is... What does that even mean? Like, it, it's treatable with radiation therapy you're talking about? Non-Hodgkin's like, is... Right. So lymphoma is cancer of your lymphatic sim system. Right. Yeah. I and it's, that. yes, through cancer, radiation, sometimes <clears throat> you don't even necessarily need that. You can just cut out, like, the infected nodes if there's, like, right. cancerous lymph nodes. But it just leaves you more susceptible to infection later in life, right? Lymphoma? Yeah. If, if you, you cut, cut out, out lymph nodes? Yeah. Yeah. Once you have cancer once, your body you are on watch for the rest of your your life because if your if your body has the ability to produce those, which everybody can because we all have cells that can basically shut off and right. rewire and not turn on properly and then causing cancer. Well, I had a uh, my old physics teacher um, had lymphoma and he had like several lymph nodes removed. There's many types of lymphoma. He, he basically said if he gets a cut or a scrape, he goes to the hospital because mm -hmm. if it gets infected, he could die yes. like, very quickly. Yeah, so he has probably something that's more closer to like a severe type, a more severe type of lymphoma. Hmm. This is just Epstein-Barr virus. They've related it to Burkitt's lymphoma. Right. Again, a very treatable cancer when you detect it in early stages and you can catch it early. If right. it goes systemic and you have lymph everywhere and it's popping off and it's now in your spleen or in your organs, then you're really looking into something that's way more severe. Right. 
So similar to like, again, Hodgkin's lymphoma is a very rapid spreading type of cancer and it's just aggressive and it's really almost a death sentence most times. Okay. So, and by the time you find it, cause it's so quick, most of the time it's too late. Okay. So, um, so Epstein-Barr virus, again, Burkitt's lymphoma, it's very good to know, associate with it, especially if you had mono and you've been tested for it. So I briefly mentioned before saddle megalovirus, which is another herpes virus. Similar thing, it does cause mono, and it typically happens as a co-infection when you have mono. Separate oh. virus, but similar pathology causing. Interesting. Um, if you have mono, you can be infected with one or both. If you're like me, which I had Epstein-Barr and cytomegalo at the same time, because it was a big opportunistic disease, I went eight weeks without detection. Shit. So my body was literally shutting down by the time they figured it out. Um, Shit. Yeah, I know. You're it's, just going like to doctor to doctor, and they're like, oh, what's wrong with you? I went to six ERs. Over the course of six weeks, and then it took them to eight weeks to get all the blood tests back. But I started really sick. I was tired. I couldn't figure it out. Christ. I went to an ER, and they're like, no, it's not strapped because my throat hurt. My chest hurt. I couldn't breathe. I was really fucking tired. I was still working. Right. But some people with mono, like, they're bedridden for, like, six weeks, like, four to six weeks. They can't even get out of bed. I had a few friends in school that had mono, and they were out for semesters i <laughs> could have been out but i for, i don't know how i did it but i was very healthy back then and i kept working but so i went to the er and they strep tested me and they flu tested me and they're like negative so they're like here's some antibiotics go home oh, Christ, for a I, virus right right and it didn't work so i still feeling awful my respiratory was progressing to the point where i couldn't breathe i could barely walk up the stairs i couldn't lift a 10 pound fucking dumbbell to save my life and that was back when i was lifting like five six times a week I had to stop lifting. I was still going to work, but I was coughing. I was really fucking tired. My head hurt. I got to the point where my, my about a month in, my throat started to swell shut. So I went to the ER again. I was like, I can't fucking breathe. Something's happening. They strep tested me again. I said, it's not strep. I've been tested twice. It's not working. And they're God like, well, it's damn. not strep. They're like, I don't know what it is. We'll order some blood work. And they like just did a, C- a basic. That's when they did blood work? What the? <laughs> well, they just did a CBC and they said, well, your white blood cells are a little elevated. Again, antibiotics go home. Oh, my God. Long story short, two or three ERs later, I... Well, what drove me to the ER was I was with a patient, because this was back when I was actually working as an assistant, not an actual chiropractor, is I coughed and I splattered blood up the wall. And my doc came in and she's like, bye. So she drove me to the hospital and... Christ. (laughs) I know. And the patient obviously was freaked out. It was a huge fucking hazmat situation. It was annoying. But... Um, yeah. So I went to the ER and I had a PA for some reason, a physician's assistant. I didn't even get a doctor. I said, you were going to test me. I gave him a list of diseases because I was like done. I was like, I can't breathe. I'm like, you're going to test me for tuberculosis. You're going to test me for mono. You're going to test me for all these fucking things. And it came back and I was mono and I had both types. He's like, that was why it was so severe because you had right. cytomegalo and Epstein-Barr. Christ. He's like, in the beginning, you probably just had Epstein-Barr, but, but it, it progressed. It. And then I got the co-infection. Is there a way to figure that out or no? Test like, for both? Was. Yeah. Or that progression? Uh, the prior, no. It's just, you can just only guess. I'll never know if I started with only Epstein and then got cytomegalo. But if they I can always bridge either way. Like you if typic- you get mono, you can get Epstein? Most no, people no, typically don't. start with Epstein-Barr and then it's cytomegalo joins in as a co. Okay. That's typical. So it's probably likely that that's what yes, happened. Yes, okay. absolutely. So why the fuck is this so important? This is important to me and important to people who've actually had severe mono because 
there's a ton of new, very highly supportive um, research on chronic recurring Epstein-Barr virus. So because I've had mono, because I've had this like such a severe infection, I actually, my lymph nodes are never going to be the same. They're swollen. They get tight. They get sore. Every now and then I get palpitations in my chest. All sorts of weird shit happens. And then I get really tired for like a couple weeks. Shit. So that's when the virus is kind of flaring back up again. It's not full-blown symptoms, right. but you're going through a phase maybe of stress or whatever, and then you just get tired and you don't have energy and you just kind of feel like general, like unwell. Shit. That's probably Epstein-Barr virus recurring. So if I were to go to test, it probably would ping positive or cytomegalome. Damn. Um, these viruses, obviously, they can go into a latent stage. They can host in your body, again, <laughs> dormant for your entire life. And they're right. finding infective teens are still testing positive for this. Wow. So this is important because a lot of people are getting misdiagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, and now here we are. Epstein-Barr is recurring. Cytomegalo is recurring. And a very common disease. Very common, especially yeah, amongst teens and everything, too. And, I mean, yeah. chronic fatigue is literally just... It's a kind of a catch-all disease mm -hmm. that they just rule everything else out, and they don't know, and people don't know about this. So this is crucial for the population to consider. It's like tick-borne diseases are on the rise. That's so important for we need to start turning our heads towards that type of bacterium, right. which I haven't even covered. That would be another cool entire episode on tick-borne diseases. Mm. But I mean, okay. that is becoming super prevalent in practice. Right. So if you are feeling fatigued, you go through like waves, you're like two or three months are good. And then you have like two or three weeks where you're fatigued and you have maybe a little of fever, your lymph nodes swell, you have trouble talking, functioning. We're not talking seasonal depression fatigue. We're no. talking... You can't get out of bed. No, it, it's not always that severe. Really? Okay. No, it's just general, like, you're fucking tired all the time. Like, you're I mean, lower I am energy. tired all the time. <laughs> well, I'm lower energy than normal. Like, right. normally you, like, get up, drink your coffee, like, vacuum, clean the house, get dressed, whatever. You have trouble getting out of bed. You don't clean. You don't, you have trouble going to work. You're tired on the drive in. No matter how much coffee you drink, you're kind of tired. You just don't feel well. Right. That would be something that you'd be like, holy smokes, maybe I should go get tested. <clears throat> and again, it's cyclic. It comes in ups and downs. Um, so I, with how sick Americans are in our crappy diets and our, how sensitive our GI systems are, this is very important. So again, right. it, the chronic fatigue syndrome mimicking is, you, it's very important to just be aware of it. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, one of the few treatments to get... Um, for Epstein-Barr virus or cytomegalo is hematopoietic um, stem, um, stem cell transplants or uh, what people know as bone marrow transplants. Right. That's how we fight this chronic recurring infection. Um, this means you deposit healthy bone marrow, you take it from a donor, put it into your body. This is an extreme form. This is people have like very severe recurring. Sure. Um, Isn't that like the research is there, but it's like illegal because it's, it's not illegal. Stem no. cell research. No, that's bone marrow transplant. But oh. no, no, it's not necessarily legal. I'm thinking of ab aborted baby stem cell, brain stem cells. Right, hematopoietic coming from the bone. Like I'm supposed to know that. Sorry. <laughs> okay, hematopoietic yes. from the bone. Yes, stem cell. That's why I put that for stem cell transplants, not baby fetal cell right. research. Which no. is like Parkinson's disease. No, to get you can be a bone marrow um, donor. You just have to do a cheek swab, and if someone so it's a huge database. You don't know this huge, so Wouldn't you can that hurt like fucking shit. Yes. Okay. I'm not if you that. don't, <laughs> if you don't go under anesthesia, of course you do. So you just right. you put your cheek swab in. My friend Trey has been a match for two different people. It's amazing. Whoa. So you put a cheeks, you do a cheek swab, you put it in the system. 
You know, they cross-reference all the time. Someone needs a bone marrow transplant. They go through the system. You have to be a perfect match. And say they ping you. They're like, okay, shit. You tested, are you matched to this person? Do you want to still do it? And they're like, okay, yeah. Are you still healthy? And they go through this whole physical screening, this questionnaire. You go into the hospital. Basically, what they do is they knock you out. They go into a femur. I think it's typically the femur. They take this big syringe. Mm. It's metal, and it's a big tube. And they go in through the bone, and they scoop out healthy bone marrow with this syringe. And they scoop out the innards of the bone because you have your cortex, and on the inside is your bone marrow. And they just get out. It's kind of mushy and chunky, but they take out those healthy healthy cells, um, which produce more red blood cells, et cetera, and more healthy cells, and seal you up, heal your you know, put a, blo- a plug in your bone and then ship it off to whoever needs it. So. Does it grow back? Of course, yeah. You get your bone marrow back. Really? Mm-hmm. Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah, let me see if I have a I had no idea. Ew, a picture? Of your bone marrow. Yeah. So your red marrow is, the, so you have red and yellow bone marrow. The red marrow is what contains your, um, blood cells your stem cells your blood stem cells so basically so you have blood and you have you know red blood cells this is the precursor to the red blood cell that's why it's so important for immunity Hmm, interesting um and it creates red blood cells white blood cells and platelets um yellow marrow is just fat essentially so what do they what do they do when they put it in the patient they scrape their bad shit out and put your shit in (laughs) essentially yes they take out because a lot of people who have like lymphomas or and an an immunity-based cancer um, like that, yes, your red blood cells aren't producing well. If you have bone marrow cancer, they scrape out the cancer and they want you to produce things that produce good things for your immunity. Right. So they put in the good bone marrow, hope that it takes, and it grows and it creates more good things like red blood cells, white blood cells, the things that you need to survive off of. Science is crazy. It is crazy. So whoever determines the transplant would be oof so so yeah so that's kind of like my basic shit all research on epstein-barr cytomegalovirus um people actually have chronic they can recurring those diseases they can have similar symptoms so like they can have cold sores they can have the headaches they can have things that are similar to the simplex viruses but not necessarily truly simplex so right it's interesting um but yeah if guys if you guys are sick don't fucking stop looking for answers because there's some things coming out that are really helpful. Again, tick-borne diseases are on the rise. I literally, probably over half my patients now are Lyme positive. And we never used to test before the, or test for this until now, and it's becoming right. a huge issue. And don't do the, the easy, like, little blood test. Get, a, get it titered, or the little spot test. Get it actually titered and sent to the lab, your blood. You'll know what that means if you go do it. My uh, mom actually had pretty severe case of Lyme's disease. It doesn't go away. It stays in your body. Yeah. Another, they didn't she think got, that. Her but... entire face went numb for months. Mm-hmm. Chronic scary. Lyme. Yeah. It doesn't go away. It comes back. It stays in, with you. Right. So, and that's actually a bacterium. So. Really? Mm-hmm. Didn't know that. So, that's so anyway. <laughs> all I've got for you. Cool. Um... Interesting. Yeah. I learned a lot. Borrelia is actually Borrelia burgdorferi. You're just Borre- making up words now. No, let me look it up. 
I think that's what causes Lyme disease. Sorry. Hold please. Borrelia burgdorferi. Oh. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah, Borrelia burgdorferi. 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 Something like that. Yeah. You're close enough. Lyme disease, spirochete. Crazy. Crazy. And it's a bacteria. Yeah, gross. Don't stop looking, guys. <laughs> okay. Follow our Patreon. Join it, whatever the fuck. Yeah, join our Patreon. If you uh, have any suggestions, still feel free to email us at... Starmanspodcast at gmail.com and let me know if you want me to do more bacteria because I could go on for a long time about really cool ones, too. Yeah. I could do, an, like, a literally part four, five, six. I could keep on going about the health side of things. Cool. So... I'm sure no one will say anything, but that's okay. If well, you're thinking about talking to us, do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Please, you can say hi. We're not mean. We don't bite all the time. Not all the time. Uh, yeah, check us, out on, uh, but... check, check us on. Check us out on well, Instagram and TikTok I as well. I do. I do. And uh, Starman's podcast. We're not on Twitter because that's a fucking shit show. Only for Rihanna. <laughs> And we'll talk to you in the next episode. What is it? We're going to be talking about... I don't know. The Oort Cloud. Oh, yeah, I do. You know. <laughs> do it. Anyway, so okay. stay tuned for that. Oh, yeah. Hey. To Starman's podcast. <laughs> oh my god. That was guttural. <laughs> what? The fuck? <laughs> I just gotta surprise you each, you know, every episode. Oh my god. You're gonna keep. You're no, gonna... I'm gonna put that. Yeah. You're gonna fucking keep. That was fucking disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> fucking disgusting. Okay. Okay, I guess the real intro. Go for it.